The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew chapter 20. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to the disciples, The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. About five o'clock, he went out, found others standing around. He said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they'd receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. When they received it, they grumbled against the landowner saying, these last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us who've borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious? because I am generous. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. If you have been here at worship the last couple of weeks, you may have noticed a theme at work winding its way through our readings for these weeks, that being the theme that God is a God of mercy and grace, and very specifically in these last few weeks, forgiveness, who not only shows mercy and grace and forgiveness to us, but who also clearly and fully means to extend mercy and grace and forgiveness through us, through us to one another in the church and to the whole world through the church. And so two weeks ago, Jesus talked about the painful reality that some of us over the years have come painfully to know painfully much about, that being the occasional but every time painful reality of fights in the church and conflict in the church, which of course is something we'd like to think would never find in the church. But that is pie in the sky naivete because the church is a place where sinners, sinners specifically, are invited and welcomed, and the human condition being what it is, there will therefore inevitably at times be when one or another of us sinners will take advantage of an opportunity to prove that being a sinner, a not perfect person, hopefully a work in progress, but full disclosure, not even always progressing, is something that is true in one way or another about us all, even right here in the church. 
And Jesus was clear about in that reading two weeks ago where he didn't naively say there will never be any conflict in the church, but said instead that conflict, which at times will of course happen in the church, is in fact in his eyes an opportunity for his church to stand up and be his church. Which of course is what he was saying two weeks ago when he said that of course when there is sin it needs to be not unhealthily aggressively, not passive aggressively, not gossiply, but, but, but lovingly assertively it needs to be confronted does sin. But the final and ultimate goal, he said, is never, the final and ultimate goal, he said, is never the confrontation of sin. The final and ultimate goal is the forgiveness of sin and reconciliation between sinners. It's a fact of life. I tell this to every couple I marry at some point during pre-marriage counseling. It is a fact of life, including both family and church life and relationships therein. There do come times, there will come times, when the only thing that house has the power to move a relationship forward and healed is forgiveness. It will come. Forgiveness, of course, and I think too many people too often forget this. Um, forgiveness is something that in not one single case ever is something that somebody deserves. Can I repeat that? Forgiveness is not ever in one case ever something that somebody deserves because giving people what they deserve isn't called forgiveness. Giving people what they deserve is called justice. And by all means, God bless those who seek justice. Social justice, racial justice, climate justice, economic justice, justice for the marginalized, justice for refugees, justice for minorities, justice for indigenous communities, justice for the LGBTQIA plus community, and justice for that matter, for United Auto Workers and anyone's anywhere seeking a world where people get what they deserve for what they've done. It's just that in these texts, that's not what Jesus happens to be talking about. For what he's talking about in these texts these few weeks isn't justice in the sense of any systems that work in the ways and means of the world, but rather the kingdom of heaven at work and alive in the world every single time, wherever and whenever forgiveness is at work, specifically not giving people what they deserve for what they've done or for what they've left undone. Justice, of course, by all means, do not misunderstand me. Justice is surely high and holy ground to seek after in this world. The prophets, after all, thundered on its behalf. But in the kingdom of heaven, says Jesus, we are called too to seek and to embrace the opportunities we have to walk on even higher and holier ground. That being the ground on which we stand and also the ground on which Jesus was crucified as forgiving mercy then rises even higher and holier than justice. 
At worship last week, we moved on to the rest of that passage with Peter then saying to Jesus out loud, as Peter was often wont to do, the things that a lot of the rest of us think, but we don't say out loud, that in this case being, well, that's fine as far as it goes, Jesus, but how far does it go? <laughs> I mean, what if people sin again? Do I forgive them a second time? Do I forgive them a third time? <laughs> Seven times? I mean, Jesus, we've got a saying, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on you. Fool me three times, strike three. <laughs> to which Jesus said, oh, Peter, don't forgive seven times. Forgive 77 times, which, let's be clear, it doesn't mean count to 77 and then go, ha, 78. It means that when you're talking about forgiving, stop counting. My wife and I have been married for 47 years. She's way past 78, I want to tell you. <laughs> to which Peter then didn't say, but at least some of us by then surely do think, this kingdom of heaven thing, which Jesus is just talking about, has gone beyond a case of mercy rising above justice to instead become a case of absurdity, ridiculousness, You've got to be kidding me, Ness, rising above justice. Jesus being Jesus, it may well be that he hears Peter and us thinking that very thing, even if we didn't say it out loud, which is perhaps why he then starts that out loud, that parable that we heard last week, when we heard him tell the main message of that parable being that in the eyes of the king of the kingdom of heaven, the truly absurdly ridiculous you got to be kidding me thing is when we who have been forgiven everything we've been forgiven by God, the absolutely unforgivable debt we've been forgiven by God, nevertheless turn around then not to forgive the in far and away most cases trifling debts which others owe us or the in far and away most cases comparatively trifling wrongs with which others have wronged us. Ridiculously absurd, said Jesus. Clearly, in that parable last week, and when those of us, when we who aren't given what we deserve for our sin vis-a-vis -vis the righteousness of God, nevertheless insist on making sure everybody gets every damned thing they do deserve vis-a-vis -vis the righteousness of us. Which takes us to our reading for today and another parable once again oft considered absurd and ridiculous when those whose deepest loves and highest aspirations are the ways and means of this world are the ones doing the considering. That being that parable of that vineyard owner whose vineyard is ready to have some workers come in and gather the harvest. And so early in the morning, he goes to that place in town where workers gather looking for work to be hired. And he does hire them, hires everyone there, and he promises them the daily wage. And they agree that that is fair, and they get to work. And the harvest is abundant. But the, the, the owner of the vineyard looks at his phone's weather app and he finds that the weather for tomorrow is looking mighty iffy. 
And he said, he wants to be done before then. And so mid-morning, he goes back out and gathers some more workers. He says, come to the vineyard. I'll settle with you at the end of the day. And they start working. He does the same thing at noon. He does the same thing at three. He does the same thing at five in the late afternoon. And they all go to the vineyard and start to work. Although in the case of that last group, they only worked for about an hour because sunset came at six and the storm started about a half hour after that. But that was okay because by then the, the fruit of the vineyard had been fully harvested. So now came the time to settle up with the workers, and the owner had his foreman start with that last group, the ones who'd only worked for about an hour, with instructions to give them the normal full day pay. He did the same thing for those who worked since three, and those who worked since noon, and those who worked since nine in the morning. And, and when those who worked all day saw this, they're getting pretty excited because they're thinking, how much more are we going to get? Because unlike all those slackers and latecomers, we worked a full day. But when they get their pay, the amount they got was the same they'd agreed upon at the very beginning of the day, which was the same as everybody else got too. The German language has a word for something that I think the English, as far as I know, doesn't have a word for this. And that German word is schadenfreude. Heard it? Say it with me. Schadenfreude. This, this is a word we all, well, maybe some of you are so pure in heart you never need the word. But I, I need the word. Um, schadenfreude refers to the time when a person derives pleasure or happiness from another person's misfortune. <laughs> Some of you know times you've needed that word. I, and maybe, you know, you're a better person than me who never needs that word because never in your whole life has someone else's misfortune ever brought you a little bit of a smirk inside. But I need the word. In fact, I needed it yesterday. This is a kind of a trifling example. It's a very trifling example. But uh, I glanced at the major league standings yesterday to confirm that the Twins made the playoffs and the Yankees, it doesn't look like they're going to. Just saying. We've taken a lot of beating at the hands of the Yankees, and I kind of smiled about that. God forgive me. Schadenfreude. Experiencing a certain amount of happiness at someone else's misfortune. It's not something I'm proud of. Uh, that was a trifling example. There are deeper examples that uh, I'll keep between the Lord and me. But I can absolutely say I'm familiar with this. In this parable, however, what we have is the very opposite of that. As the full shift workers who received every penny of the full shift wage they had earlier agreed upon aren't uh, happy because of someone else's misfortune, they are instead unhappy because of someone else's good fortune. They are not upset in this case, in other words, about someone being forgiven and then not getting what they deserve. They're upset in this case about people getting something they don't deserve. They are upset, in other words, because it's not fair. And in Jesus' story, they say that to the owner of the vineyard, who I think it's, I think it's very clear in Jesus' mind is meant to represent God in a way bigger picture story. That story being the story Jesus has been not just proclaiming, but also embodying. With every single sinner he has sought out, and every single despised tax collector with whom he has hung out, and every single religiously judged outcast with whom he has dined out, as religious people who'd worked hard at being religion, religious and way better than these people their whole, their whole lives long, increasingly 
and increasingly vocally gathered around, saw, and complained about. But the folks complaining in the parable, in other words, and the folks complaining around Jesus almost every day, too, are actually complaining about is God's grace. God's love, God's blessings, God's salvation, God's every good thing being given to someone who clearly doesn't deserve it. And so they say it's not fair. And in Jesus' mind, the owner in his story, the, who surely does represent God, says, what's not fair? We agreed on a fair wage. I paid you every penny. What could be more fair than that? Or are you envious because I'm generous? Can you say bingo? Because the unspoken but clear answer to that question, of course, is that the owner's generosity is exactly what they're upset about, but only, of course, because they see that generosity being extended to others with no generosity, in their minds anyway, being extended to them. And so Jesus concludes, in the kingdom of heaven, the last will be first and the first will be last, which I take to mean in this case, not that tables are at that point reversed, but rather at that point they are equalized. They all get the same thing. The standard not being that everyone gets what they deserve, but rather that everyone gets what they need. We, all of us, who know within us not only trifling but deeper examples of things like schadenfreude and also uh, examples of things far darker and more insidious within us too, when standing beside the righteousness which God understands to be the righteousness we were created for, we all of us need forgiveness. Forgiveness being something one cannot ever, accurately anyway, claim to deserve. Because getting what you deserve isn't called forgiveness. Getting what you deserve is called justice. And in this world, as servants of the king of the kingdom of heaven, justice surely is a very high and holy thing we are called to strive for, for all people. But sin still being sin, and us even at our best, still being not former sinners, but loved and hopefully recovering sinners still, every full day and every shift of the day need forgiveness, which is ours, not because we deserve it, but because Jesus is Lord. And as citizens of his kingdom, forgiven, we are called to be forgiving. The kingdom of heaven on earth then growing with every person in relationship with whom we live into that calling, not giving them what their sin in our mind deserves. We, all of us too, Every single one of us are graced, given countless good things we too don't deserve, including life itself, graced upon us one breath at a time. Not a single one of those breaths, something we gave us, but something God gives us. 
and as on this earth citizens of the kingdom of God. We're called to be God's grace for others. As they experience the free gifts and blessings from us that they certainly can and will and do experience from us when our God of amazing grace is our God. Amen.